Welcome to the Gospel City Church Podcast. We're glad to have you here. We hope you would hear, be challenged, and encouraged by this week's teaching. Head to gospelcitynow.com for more information. Okay, so, you know, one of the things I've learned about being a resident of South Florida, being a resident of South Florida and not being a native of South Florida, I tend to go to the beach more than natives of South Florida, right? I, for whatever reason, if you live here, you never go to the beach, right? But, but what I have found, like as a, as, a, as a resident now of South Florida, living as relatively close to the beach as we go, we frequent, we frequent it often, and, and we enjoy it. I love the beach. I have, I have no, no uh, problem with the beach. I have a problem with the sun. Uh, you know, so when we when we go, we will typically go in the evening time when the sun is not going to turn me into a lobster, right? And so, uh, being a redheaded fella, I call myself the shade hunter. Like I'm all the time like finding a tent or a tree or whatever, so that I, you know, I used to think I was a tough guy. You know, I you know I watch movies and I identify like William Wallace from Braveheart or Leonidas from Three Hundred. And, and then I, I had this epiphany like in the last month, like. I wear too much sunscreen to be a tough guy. I just, I don't know that you can be a tough guy and wear the SPF 90 that I do, right? Like, uh, but, it's, you know, I'm coming to grips with that. It's fine. And, uh, but anyway, so, there, we, you know, we love to go to the beach. We go to the beach, and it never fails. We're at the beach. My kids are playing. I'm, I'm in the chair under a tent, SPF 90. I'm watching them. And uh, without fail, they'll be playing. And as they're playing in the ocean, uh, naturally, what typically happens is the current begins to take them down shore, right? They're not aware of that happening, but they begin to drift from the location that we're in to, to a different location, right? And, and then, matter of fact, we were there the other day, and, and our kids are looking up, and, and, and Emery kind of gets out of the ocean and walks up to where she thought we were still at, and, and I'm watching the whole thing, so I'm not going to let her get taken or anything, right? So I'm watching this whole thing happen, and she kind of is not really, she's kind of half paying attention, and she walks up to another family thinking it's us, and then kind of looks up and like, what happened? You know, like, there's kind of shock on her face, and, and, you know, and I start waving her down, Emory, you know, and so she, she, she runs over to us, but, you, you know, inevitably, they, they drift down, they're playing in the ocean, they'll drift down, and I have to, as dad, hey, kids, you know, I'm out there, you know, braving the sun, and I'm out there, hey, kids, come back, you got to come back down here, right, like, you're, you're getting too far down shore, I can't see you, you got you to gotta come back, and, and they can't swim back, right, they're fighting the current. So they get out of the ocean, they walk down the beach, and they get back in, in into the location. Uh, today we're looking at a passage where the writer of Hebrews is going to warn us about a, a spiritual drifting. Uh, and, and it's a, a drifting that we may not know is happening. It's, we may not be aware of. And so, so the writer of Hebrews is serving as dad here for a moment to say, beware of, of drifting. Now, this is the, you know, he, the writer of Hebrews has given us tons of theology already, uh, and he's going to give us more today. That's, uh, you know, one of the, matter of fact, uh, verse 5 through 9 is not, not really controversial, but kind of debated on what the context of the passage is. We'll, we'll talk somewhat on that. But this is the first real exhortation that the writer, or, you know, warning that the writer of Hebrews has given to, to the audience. And, and really, if you were to examine the entirety of the book of Hebrews, he gives five major warnings throughout the book, and this is the first one. And, and they all kind of increase in severity as they go along. And so this is his first warning 
uh, to to the church to the church to the really what are second generation believers uh, to to not drift. And and he's going to talk to us about that. So let's read, and then we'll kind of dive into what I believe the Lord has for us through this text. Verse one, chapter two. And I'm going to break it up into two sections. We'll read one through four here. Therefore, uh, pause. Remember. The therefore is that Jesus is superior. He's higher than the angels. The word came from him through God the Father, right? That's the therefore, all of chapter 1. Therefore, we must pay pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. All right, let's pause. First point that I want us to talk about for a moment is let us not drift away. I think that's the, the thrust of the message here that the writer is, is given to the Hebrews. Uh, don't drift away. Now, the, the drifting away described here, um, I, I, I believe it's talking about not, not just like a, a temporary backsliding or, um, you, you, know, you, you know, you have a season where you're not where you're supposed to be. I, I think what the, the ultimate end of this drifting is apostasy. It's, it's, it's walking away from the faith. It's, it's, it's not being a believer. And remember, he's writing this uh, uh, to church folks, and we'll kind of deal with some of the implications of that in just a moment. And, and also remember that the entirety of the context of this, this passage is Jesus is better. Jesus is superior, right? He's greater than the angels. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of angel worship. Why? Because he is, in fact, God. Now, what the writer does here is, since this message is coming to us from Jesus, uh, the Son of God, God the Son, because that message is coming from us, he's given us an argument of a lesser to greater than argument. He says, okay, um, you were given a message by angels, and there was a great judgment for disobeying that, that message. Now, the message he's talking about is the Mosaic law, the Mosaic covenant. He says, if you broke that law, there was penalty. How much greater the penalty, the judgment, for neglecting the word that comes from the very Son of God? So, so he's saying, hey, you know, because oftentimes we, we like to uh, you know, soften the, the, the uh, you know, as if God was a different God in the New Testament than he is in the Old Testament. But he is a God that is judge and will judge. And, and this is true in the Old Testament. It's true in the New Testament. Right. And so he's saying the writer of Hebrews is saying, how much greater the judgment if we neglect this great salvation? That was given to us by the very Son of God, God Himself, through His own Son. So, so obviously, this is a grave warning about neglecting the message that has been delivered to us by, by Jesus, by the Son. And, 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 and so much so, uh, the phrasing of it says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And the truth is, we won't escape. We can't escape um, neglecting this salvation. So, what does this mean? Right? How what does drifting away look like? I don't want to do that. Help me understand what that is. How can I know what, what, if I'm doing that? What, what's the deal? Well, drifting here, how do we drift? We, we drift, I think the passage is clear, through neglect. He says we neglect this great salvation. 
This is what drifting away from Jesus as our anchor looks like. It, it looks like uh, neglect. Now, to be clear, we don't have to be the gravest sinners. Uh, we don't have to be, um, you know, we don't have to reject, reject Christ. We don't have to be the staunch atheists to experience the kind of judgment uh, that, that he's talking about here. All we have to do is neglect this great salvation. Matter of fact, I would go as far to say uh, that most of those who will experience judgment forever were not people who are hate, hate, hating Christianity or opponents of Christianity. Uh, they simply neglected this great salvation. Uh, you, you know, I think it's important to note here that the author doesn't say rejecting this great salvation. He says neglecting it. There's a difference there, right? Like most of our spiritual problems that come in our life come because of neglect. I was listening to this one pastor give the analogy. He was actually pointing to the Philippian jailer. If you remember the story in Acts of the Philippian jailer that Paul's in prison. God shakes the prison, frees him, and the Philippian jailer is about to kill himself. And he says, whoa, 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 don't kill yourself. And he's so amazed that these guys didn't flee when the, when the prison was busted open. He, he asked the question, what must I do to be saved? And I think he was expecting a to-do list. If you pray your prayers and you do these things, and you, then you'll be saved. But he didn't get a to-do list. He got believe. If you believe upon Jesus, you will be saved. But, but, but what if we ask that question in the inverse? What, what must we do to be lost? Nothing. Simply do nothing. Uh, you know, we come into this world separated from God. And if nothing is done, if nothing is changes, we exit this world separated from God. S simply neglecting this great salvation and we will remain in our sins uh, forever. And, and this spiritual drift, um, you know, begins when, when, when Christians uh, begin to neglect this, this great salvation. That's why we center our church on the gospel. That's why we want to be a gospel-centered church. Why? Because we want to continue to preach the truth that we had heard. Why? So that we can cling close to it. Why? So that we won't drift and neglect this great salvation. We want to continue to remember it. We will continue to hold fast to it. You know, uh, oftentimes church will begin to shift into some level. of they'll, they'll forget the gospel and move into a more philanthropy kind of ideology. Th that is a drift away from the truth that we have heard. And, and ultimately, you drift away from the truth of the gospel. And so we want to be gospel-centered as Gospel City Church. Right? That's what we want to be. We want to continue to preach the, the truth uh, that, that God saves sinners and, and, and so um, all those kinds of things. Now, the, the question I think I have to answer here that, that is inherent in this text, uh, but also throughout Hebrews. We're going to hit this a few times as we kind of study through Hebrews. But the question is, can I lose my salvation? Right? Because he's writing to he's writing to the church here. And and so so who is he talking to? Right. I think there's a drifting that believers can walk through. I think there's a, an, an ultimate drifting that that uh, that what we would call apostasy or, or rejecting the faith. Uh, and I would say that those people were not believers. So so to answer the question, can you lose your salvation? I would say absolutely not. If you are saved, you, you are in the hand of the son who's in the hand of the father and nothing can take you out of the hand. That's what John tells us. Um, you know, the scripture goes on to say that uh, nothing can separate us from the love of God, not even ourselves. 
right? And so if we're saved, we're, we're in him. We can't, we can't lose that. Now, the, now the question is, are we saved, right? Because you can be in the church and not be saved. Uh, that, that, I mean, look at, look at Judas. Look, look at, I mean, you can walk through the New Testament and see example after example after example of those within the church and not, and not saved. So the real question is not, can you lose your salvation? The real question is, are you in fact saved? Now, if you're a believer and you drift away, you can take it to the bank that God disciplines those whom he loves in his kindness to lead you back to repentance, to bring you back to himself. So if you are a believer that drifts, you can, you can rest assured that the Lord will, will, will chastise those whom he loves. He will discipline those whom he loves. And he, he will not be okay with you just sitting there like that and, and remaining in that state. He's going to bring you back to himself by whatever means necessary. This is why when you've, you, you've experienced this, if you're a believer, you've walked away from the Lord and God has used different things, whether it be sickness or just life wasn't going right or relationship issues or financial issues, and God broke you and used those things to get your attention, to bring you back to himself. He disciplined you. Now, for the non-believer that, that, that drifts away, uh, you, you know, maybe they... they or in the church for a while, they maybe said the right things, they maybe prayed a prayer, they maybe even were baptized at some point, but, but then you've all experienced this in people in your life, they begin to neglect the graces of God. They, they might neglect the Word, they might neglect His presence, prayer, they might, they might neglect church, and, and one week quickly turns into two weeks, quickly turns into two months, quickly turns into two years, quickly turns into my whole worldview has changed, and now they're no longer... Um, no, no longer following Christ or desiring to follow Christ. So what happened there? Well, they had proved themselves to not be with us, to not be in Christ, right? But, but that kind of drifting is what, what happens. Now, I would encourage for those not to drift too, even though they're not believers, because what better place for them to be than in a place where they're going to hear the gospel that God might convert them and save them. And so you see the drifting between a believer and, and a non-believer. Those are two different kinds of, of, of driftings. Now, uh, now, if you cross-reference this word neglect, it's going to point to a parable in Matthew 22 where in, the, in that parable, Jesus talks about um, a king who invited guests to, to a banquet, to a party, right? And all this is, is talking about really the kingdom. And uh, he, he's inviting them to his son's wedding party. He's inviting them all in. And it said that there were some that uh, they paid no attention and went their way. One to his farm and another to his business. They pay no attention. So synonymous to neglecting is someone who pays no attention, who, who isn't, doesn't have intentionality about spiritual things. But when you have no intentionality about spiritual things, this is what causes the drifting. Right. We, we, we you know, we want to be people that 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 are close and cling close to the anchor of Christ. Right. And uh, you can also translate it. They made light of. You know, they didn't take seriously the things of God. And so, so we want to be a people that take these things very seriously. This isn't, this isn't a compartment of our life that we pull out when we need it. This is life. This is who we are. We are God's people. We are God's chosen people. We, 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 we are his, and he is the crux of our life, the very center of our life, and everything rotates in and through him, around him. Right? And so neglect is a, a big issue for the early church. He's writing to them, but I think it's a big issue for us. It's a big danger for us uh, that we would cling close and not and particularly neglect him through the things that he has given us. And, and you're going to see that throughout Hebrews. He's going to tell them, do not neglect meeting together. He's going to teach them. And we're going to talk more. 
not neglecting the word of God, not neglecting prayer. Like he's going to continue to exhort them to not neglect the, the graces that God has given them so that they can be close to the Lord. So how then do we not drift? Again, the text, it says, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard. Again, if you attend here weekly, you're going to hear the gospel. It's in our name for crying out loud. But we're going to preach it. And I was reading a book this week, and um, the intro of this book said, basically, I preached the same, I've written the same book 25 times, but with a new bent to it. And what does he say? He says, that, that book that I've written 25 times is the gospel. And I said, praise God for that. That's what I want to say about myself. I preach the same sermon every week. It's the gospel. And it's just, how does that flesh out in the, in the text? And w- what way are we going to look at the gospel this week? Uh, here's what I would encourage for, for you, um, that maybe you, you, I begin to go into talking about the good news of Jesus Christ and how he saves sinners, and it's by grace through faith that we're saved, not works of our own, so that no man may boast. And you may begin to kind of tune out. I would plead with you. Yes, you maybe have heard it a thousand times. Listen, a thousand and one, because it might be the thousand and first time that God does an even greater work in your heart and soul for the sake of his name. So we, 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 we pay closer attention to the gospel. And notice the, the, the intentionality. Pay much closer attention. You've heard me say this before. Godliness isn't something you fall into. It's not something that happens accidentally. You know, this is God, you don't just wake up one day and you're like, oh, yeah, now I'm godly. No, no, it, it's, it's time and years of spending in, in the presence of God, in his word. You, you know, with Christianity, there is no stagnation. You're either growing in Christ or you're drifting away. And so we want to be people that just pay much closer attention. We want, we want to have great intentionality, that we want to be close to him and stay close to him, right? And, and, and particularly that we would stay close to him, uh, pay, pay attention to what we have heard. Well, they heard the gospel, right? How did they hear it? The, the, the writer goes on to say how this word came to him first, <coughs> which we talked about in week one. <clears throat> it came through the Lord himself, that, that, he, that the father used to speak through the prophets. Now he's in these last days giving us the message through his own son. That's the first way that he spoke. Second way, he says, it was attested to us by those who heard. What he's talking about here is the apostles, right? And by the way, that's the same way we hear through the, the, the word of God written to us from the apostles in this time so that we can know what they were teaching and what they were teaching about the Lord. And so it was attested to them uh, by the, the apostles, the church leaders, those that were spreading the gospel from the things that happened through, through Pentecost. So it was, it was given to them by others. Side note here, uh, this particular passage is the is the one, if you were curious about week one, most of you probably don't care, but uh, that this is the, the verse that is used to say Paul actually didn't write this letter because the author seems to put himself in the category of, of people that were, that were second generation Christians. But this message came to us by those who were the eyewitnesses. So, so uh, just a little side note there. Uh, but, but what we do see, obviously, is God uses people to speak to people. He's still doing that. You know, how will they know unless someone goes? How will they hear unless someone preaches? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. God uses people 
to, to in people's lives, to, to speak the message of truth to people, right? That's, we know that to be true. And then lastly, we see the works of God. Now, the listed three things are signs, wonders, and various miracles. These are oftentimes lumped together because they're so simultaneous, you know, similar uh, that it's hard to uh, differentiate between the three. You oftentimes see them together in a, a lot of different ways. Essentially, what we need to know is the works of God was used to validate the word and the works of God in the early church. Uh, and then he goes on to describe the gifts of the Holy Spirit that were given according to his will. What we need to know is that these were not arbitrary. Uh, but they were also not for all. Uh, he, he was giving particular gifts to particular people uh, for particular purposes. And so th- those were going to accomplish his work in the world. He's still uh, giving his Holy Spirit to accomplish his work in the world. You know, and some are teachers and some are whatever. We have different giftings that God uses in his church to accomplish his work. Now, all right, let's get into five. Verse five says, for... It was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or son of man that you would take care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Okay, let's stop there. Uh, We see the beginning of the passage, the word for, that's going to connect this section to kind of everything that's come before it, but also to the previous four verses that we had just read. And kind of the idea here or the bottom line here is he's saying these can neglect, uh, drift and neglect this great salvation um, and and devote themselves to um, the, the law mediated by angels, devote themselves to angels instead of the Lord. I want to remind you that the audience that is being written to had a very high view of angels, right? And, um, and so some of their temptation wasn't necessarily drifting into worldliness. It was drifting back into the law. They wanted to go back into sacrificial system. They, they wanted to go back into, you know, seeing a high view, a higher view of, of angels than, than the very son of God. And, and so uh, what we need to know is that drifting away can look like drifting towards worldliness, certainly, but it can also look like drifting towards legalism. And uh, any kind of drifting from the gospel is a drifting away. And, and that's what you see happening here is that these people want to go back to the law, back to lifeless religion, back to what is death. And they want to head to this kind of legalism, this sac- making sacrifices again and, and keeping the law and doing those kinds of things. And, and that's a drifting away from the gospel. And that's what the writer is, is uh pleading with them. And, and that's what us, we too, we need to be a people that cling to the graces that God has given us. The church, the word, prayer, that we would not um, go towards worldliness, but we'd also not um, go towards the way of legalism and, and, and make such a, such a religion that is void of the gospel. So we have to be on guard of both of those things. Now, Again, I told you at the beginning of this that this passage is one of the more highly debated passages when trying to 
determine the author's intent, like in 5 through 9, uh, what is talking about humanity and man, because the Psalm 8 there, it's all, it, it seems that the context of that is all about man or Adam, right? Um, and, and then it kind of morphs into talking about Jesus and where is that kind of dividing line and wh- when's he talking about man, when's he talking about Jesus? Um, you know, I've kind of settled on that. It, it kind of shifts towards nine and, and, and really that the point of the passage is to say that Jesus had to be made like man in every way. He'd be made like his brothers in every way. And we'll see this more next week. He'll be made like his brothers in every way so that he can uh, die the death that they needed to be the sacrifice they needed to have life. And so he had to become like us in every way to, to be our great high priest. And so that's essentially what the text, no one really fights over the text, they just debate on what the context is. So it's really not super important for us, but if you want to study it later, have at it. Tell me what you think. But, uh, but what we see here and what we see as the crux of this passage is the, the question, how could Jesus be better than angels if he had a body, if he was a human, lower than, made lower than the angels for a period of time, uh, humbling himself, uh, as the Philippian prayer talks about, too, humbling himself, right, taking on flesh. How could he be better than angels? He, you know, he doesn't have his wings and flying and all those guys. He's got to take on this nasty old flesh. How could he be better than the angels? That's the question, right? So we have to ask the question, why did he do it? Why did he take on flesh? And uh, I think we'll see this in the next couple of things. But he had to take on flesh, um, as the Scripture talks about, to be the second Adam, to be the last Adam, really. Uh, you see, the first Adam, made in the Garden of, of, uh, of Eden, Adam and Eve, Adam sinned. Um, he was tempted, and he fell. And when he fell, sin didn't just come into his life, sin came into the world. And so we needed a second Adam or the last Adam to come to be tempted, put on flesh, and and to live a perfect life, um, completely pleasing to the Father in order to redeem humanity uh, back back to himself. You know, that's, you know, uh, when God gave Adam rule over all, you know, made creation subject to him. That was in Genesis 1. We see that blessing quoted in Psalm 8 in that, in that text. And, and, and obviously, Adam fell. Jesus did not. Adam sinned. Jesus did not. And, 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 and since the time of Adam, every human, except for one, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that one was Jesus, born of a virgin born without sin, and lived a righteous life, perfectly pleasing to his Father and our Father. Now, the writer of Hebrews is pointing to Jesus as the one who did live perfectly and had to taste death for everyone. Why? Because he had to be the perfect sacrifice needed to defeat death and the grave forever. And then, as the text says, receiving the glory and honor that he deserves. That's why he did it. That's why this was the plan of God before the foundations of the world. This is the way to glorify the Son and the way that the Son would be most glorified ever. And he took on flesh. He lived perfectly. He suffered a sacrificial death. And then he rose again. And he's crowned with glory and honor. He sits at the right hand of the Father 
praying for you and for me, awaiting the day he sent to return for his bride. This is Jesus. Now, both Adams were tempted with glory ahead of time. Adam fell. Jesus didn't. Jesus, the last Adam, by his death and resurrection, undid all that the first Adam ruined. Now, what this kind of gets into, because Adam's sin plunged all creation and humanity into sin and death, the work of Christ is redeeming that and reconciling those things back to him. But what the author is getting into now is a theological idea called the now and the not yet of the kingdom. And we experience this. There's the now and the not yet of, of, of the kingdom, right? Like we see in the text there, it says that, that he's got submission, uh, all things unto him, but we do not yet see. Now, one of my favorite verses in that whole text is yet. We don't yet. We do not yet see. That means we will, but not right now. So there's this idea of the now and the not yet of the kingdom. And we can go through several of the things. We talked last week how Jesus is going to put all his enemies under his feet, the last one being death. We know that to be true, but it hasn't happened yet. We know that he is king and reigns on the throne. And, and, and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, but it hasn't happened yet. Or we are righteous. We are justified before God, and we are holy and blameless before him, and we will be clothed with white and given a glorified body. But not yet. We still got these guys. Or we are free. Free in Christ. And if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. But we still walk in a world that is bound by a curse So there's some now and not yet to the kingdom. So in light of all of this, the encouragement not to drift and and the encouragement to pay much closer attention to the gospel, the things that we have heard, and, and, and the now and the not yet of the kingdom, how are we then to live between the now and the not yet? Okay, we're here, we're going there, what do we do between now and then? How are we supposed to to live? How are we supposed to not drift from the truth that we have heard? How are we supposed to pay much closer attention to the gospel? And it leads me to my last point, which is just see him, Jesus, the better anchor. See him. You see how it says it in the passage there that we would see him, but in verse 9, but we see him. Now, notice what the text doesn't say. It doesn't say we have seen him, namely Jesus. It doesn't say that we will see him. It doesn't say that we can see him. We figure all this out. It says we see him now, continually. Well, how does that happen? It happens by faith. Someone said faith is the eye of of the soul. We see Jesus by faith. And, and that, that is it. We behold Jesus. We, we hold fast to the anchor by faith. We see him by faith. That's exactly what faith is. It's seeing him. You know, faith is regularly seeing Jesus. And I'm not talking about you see him in your burnt toast. I'm not talking about you see him in clouds in the sky. 
I'm talking about you see with your heart and your soul, you see Jesus. You have full confidence in the existence of God and the presence of God in your own life. You have full confidence in the work that Christ accomplished on the cross, applying to you. You have full confidence that he not only was buried in a tomb, but he defeated it and rose again. Then it sits at the, like you see those things by faith. You believe those things by faith. You have full confidence to the degree that you would walk in obedience to whatever cost there was for you to be had, even if that meant laying down your own life. Or maybe a greater sacrifice for us that we believe those things to to, to the greater degree that we would commune with Him daily and regularly. That we would by faith commune with him. I, I want to read to you a verse that we're going to get into in the fall, but Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Do you have faith? Do you have saving faith? H- have you trusted in the one that have tasted death so that you might have life? Do you listen to the message of the Son, given through the Son, given through the apostles, given through the works of God, given to us now primarily through the Word of God? And, and I, w- I would press on this a bit to say um, much of our faith is, is lived out through our consumption and study of God's Word. Studying the Bible is important for us. This is not just a normal book. This is not a novel. This is not a Harry Potter series. This is not, you know, whatever, Tolkien. This, this, is, this has life. And when we submit ourselves in the presence of God, in the Word of God, God does supernatural things in us and through us. We may not see it every moment, but look over your life over five years, and you'll see it very clearly. This Word of God is life. Now, I would encourage us, we study the Bible. We don't study the Bible so we can beat our brothers and sisters over the head with it. We also don't study our Bible to impress our peers. The reason that we study our Bible, and you need to hear this, the reason that you consume it, the reason you wake up early in the morning to spend time in God's Word, the reason that you labor over the pages, and the reason why you set up year after year, whether you complete it or not, but read through the Bible in the year plans, the reason we want to consume this book is it's a primary way that we commune with our great God. That's why we want it. Because he spoke a word to us, and we want to hear that word. And we know that the Holy Spirit that inspired this word, that same Holy Spirit that resides in us, when those two things come together, he begins to make people to look like Jesus, love like Jesus, do church like Jesus, work like Jesus, share the gospel like Jesus. The clean clothes to the anchor of Christ. So this is, this is how we keep from drifting. This is how we cling to the anchor. We hold fast to him. And Christ, no doubt, is the better anchor. We need to cling to him. Now, things about, the thing you need to know about anchors is anchors don't move. We do. We have the tendency to drift. So, we keep from drifting by not neglecting the graces that he's given us. The word, prayer, the church. You know, when you drift, you don't know you're drifting. 
till you look up and like, how did I get here? You don't realize that you're drifting until your eyes open. You're like, hey, I'm a mile down the beach. How did this happen? So, you know, you don't have to be very far off course to kind of open your eyes and be like, man, something happened. I didn't know something was happening, but I neglected these things, and now I've drifted down, and I'm not where I wanted to be. Now, guys, this is, not, this is not, you know, rocket science. John 17, 17 says this, that God sanctifies us through his word. That's, that's pretty clear, right? He sanctifies us through his word. He makes us like himself through his word. Godliness doesn't happen by accident. It happens by a people that are people of the word. So we, we, we should be in the word. We should pray the word. We, we should uh, be around preaching of the word. We should be around people of the word. The, 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 the gospel, the word of God should saturate our lives. This is how we cling to the very anchor of our souls. This is how we avoid drifting and neglecting. Now, as God's child, maybe you've drifted down beach. Listen to how great God is. He's so loving that he doesn't just continue to let you drift. He says, hey, son, daughter, whom I love. You're getting too far away. Come out of the ocean through, through repentance and, 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 and come. And he welcomes us back every time. If he doesn't meet us there. So we need to be a people that are clinging fast to the anchor of God. And if we've drifted, there's no shame. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just get out of the water and walk back to him. And if you're you're close to him, your response should be praise be to God. Praise be to God that he's given me a great uh, 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 attention to pay much closer attention to him that I haven't drifted. Because I know if I drift, it's because I didn't know I was drifting. So you praise God. Now, maybe you're in here and you don't know Jesus at all. You're not a believer. I would implore you that there is a, a God of the universe who created all things, who also sent his son to be the second Adam, to taste death so that you might have life forever. Would you come to the anchor of salvation today and be saved? Let's pray together. Father, you know, so much of our um, faith is, uh, you know, we're so fickle. <laughs> I know I am so fickle in so many ways. And um, it's not difficult for us to, to, to lose uh, attention or to not pay closer attention and to look up and we've drifted a lot further than we wanted to go. And, you know, we just kind of thought we were going to not read the Bible for a little while. Or, and all of a sudden we look up and like, man, I did not want to get here. And if there's anyone in here that has drifted like that, I pray that they would repent, confess 
sin and come to their open-armed Father. If there's someone in here that is not a believer, I pray, God, that you would open their eyes to the truth of the gospel. And that maybe for the first time they would understand and see that they have a sin issue. And there's only one remedy for that. That's Jesus. And it's faith in Him and His work on the cross. And so would you open their eyes to that and draw them into faith? And Father, there may be very strong believers in here. Um, Would you protect us from maybe drifting towards legalism? Because one of the things we we love is, you know, there, there are people that are just wired to love religious things. We see it in the Bible. We see it today. They just, they love the formalities. They love the pomp and circumstance. They love positions. They love law. And so would you keep us grounded to what is the gospel? Nothing more, nothing less, that we preach a faithful gospel and hold fast to it. Father, we love you. We pray that you would just continue to bless our church as you have done abundantly in four months. And my particular prayer today is that you would bless us with a closeness to the anchor of Christ. And that this week in particular, that we would sense by faith the very nearness of our Savior. Would you just give that blessing to us this week? We love you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel City Church Podcast. We hope you found encouragement, inspiration, and biblical truth that will challenge you and help you grow in your relationship with God. Our mission is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the city and to the church and to see disciples who follow him wholeheartedly. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. This will help us reach more people with a life-changing message of the gospel. You can also visit our website at gospelcitynow.com to learn more about our church and our ministry. Remember, the gospel is not just a message to be heard, it's to be lived. So let us be sent out this week boldly bringing hope, love, and truth to the city and the church. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to next time.